This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hi, I'm Greg Watson here on Property Matters, the show where we talk about all things property, whether it's local, regional, national or international. Not too much happening on the local front today, so we're going to talk about a waterfront property that you can buy that comes with a gang boss. We'll talk about the effect that population growth is having on house prices. We're going to look at the areas where prices have increased by over 200% in the last 10 years. Then we're a little bit all over the place with some bank predictions on what might happen with house prices. And then we're going to look at a bit of inflation and what you can do to help yourself in the situations where there is high inflation like there is at the moment. And then we'll just see where we go with other general news at the end of that. So welcome along today. The first article, Waterfront Property That Comes With a Gang Boss, this article from uh, late October by Tony Wall on stuff.co.nz. So there's some gang-linked Makatu properties for sale. The Crown seized the land under the proceeds of crime legislation but is having trouble selling it. It's a developer's dream, an idyllic spot on the Makatu estuary with views along the western Bay of Plenty coastline all the way to Mount Monganui. There's just one catch – the properties belong to the town's mongrel mob president, Valentine Pop Nicholas, until the Crown controversially seized them under the proceeds of crime legislation. Nicholas and his wife do not recognise the Crown's authority to take the family land and are vowing to stay put, even if there are moves to forcibly remove them. Inspections are not possible, says the listing on the Collier's website, and the only hint that there's anything unusual about the sale. So the two adjoining properties, 631 and 633 Makitu Road, and one across the road, number 634, have been for sale since April. A Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment spokesperson said the initial sales period ended September 8th with no offers received, and they are now for sale by negotiation. According to property records, the waterfront block had a rateable value of 520000 in 2019, while well, the one across the road is valued at 333. So anyone who approaches the entrance to the main property, which includes a garage converted into a gym, a two-level home, is greeted by signs warning people they need written consent, kai and koha to enter. The local hapu has unqualified sovereign jurisdiction over the land, the sign says, and kaitiaki, the guardians, reserve the right to remove any aliens at any time. All presumed claims of title or write-in and or over the whenua are not recognised and thus have no validity. So it's clear that whoever buys this property is going to be in for an almighty fight. Collier's agent Roger Siever admits it's been a tough listing. There's been a certain trepidation amongst potential purchasers, he says. Does that mean they're going cheap? Well, that's the inference. Yeah, the message I've been asking of the market is that these properties will be sold, so don't be shy. All I can do is get the best price under the circumstances. Seville says that because inspection is not possible, the buyer won't have to settle until there's vacant possession and the official assignee will take whatever moves necessary to ensure the property is vacated. So when Nicholas was first served with an eviction notice in 2020, dozens of people, including gang members, activists, lawyers and politicians, descended on the land vowing to stop the eviction, claiming it was Māori ancestral land. 
anyone doing the research on the property will be see that it's been described as another Aihimato land occupation, Seville says. My job as an agent is not to try and hide anything, it is what it is, but there can be an opportunity for the right person. He conceded that Nicholas has a lot of support in Makatu. All I can say is it's gone to the Māori Land Court and the Court of Appeal and the present documents have yet to win the day legally. I guess you can say all avenues have been exhausted. So police accused Nicholas of making more than $1 million from selling cannabis in the early 2000s, which he denies, claiming that income declared by the Crown to be unexplained was actually the proceeds of gambling wins and trading of cars. He was charged with money laundering, allegedly using the proceeds of cannabis sales to buy a forestry block near Gisborne. Evidence was heard that the purchase involved $90,000 worth of $20 notes smelling of cannabis being handed to a bank teller. And Nicholas and another man charged alongside him were both found not guilty at the trial in 2015. But using the Criminal Proceeds Recovery Act, which is a lower threshold than criminal charges, police successfully applied for the forfeiture of the property and assets worth more than a million dollars, which was the amount they claimed Nicholas made from criminal activity. They seized the Makatu properties, which Nicholas had inherited, the forestry block, nine bank accounts containing $26,000, shares worth $14,000, motorbikes, cars and $8,000 cash. So I have to watch the spot and see how that listing goes. There's a lot going on there indeed. Looking at the market now, the slower population growth, according to this article by Miriam Bell, says uh, slower population growth won't have a big impact on house prices. And CoreLogic Head of Research Nick Goodall explains how house price falls are making the market more affordable for first-home buyers. House prices will not be affected significantly by a slowdown in population growth, but it does mean there will be one less driver pushing prices up, economists say. Intro Infometrics has released new analysis which projected national population growth would slow to an annual average of 0.9% over the next decade from one6 in the past decade. The pattern of slowing down was expected in almost every region, although growth would remain strongest at 1% or higher in Northland, Auckland, Waikato and Bay of Plenty. So Infometrics Senior Economist Nick Brunson said national population increase, that's the surplus of births over deaths, was set to slow in the coming decade as the population aged. And at the same time, net international migration is expected to be lower than pre-pandemic for two reasons. The government's tighter immigration policies and fierce competition for skilled workers across most developed nations. A lower rate of population growth and shift in growth rates across the different age groups meant that most regions would need to change how they planned for population growth, he said. Lower growth impacts on demand, so there are implications for the number and types of houses required in the local area, as well as for infrastructure such as schools, health services and retirement villages. He does go on to say we don't want to undercook the existing supply issue, but this will give a better idea of how much housing we need in future so that we don't overdo it. Fast population growth over the last decade was one factor that drove house prices up, so slower population growth could mean there was less pressure on prices, he said. But then we look at independent economist Tony Alexander, who said the population growth only had a small impact on prices, as in areas with strong growth, there tended to be more house building and more supply as a result. The areas with weaker growth, there was less demand, so less new supply coming onto the market. Tony Alexander is quoted as saying that people shouldn't get too excited about any prospect of lower prices. It would take a sustained period of very slow growth to have any impact on housing affordability, and I can't see that happening. Certainly in this region, I think that we're going along uh, pretty strong and will be for quite some time yet. Um, 
In fact, this article from, again, Miriam Bell on stuff.co.nz says the areas where house prices increased by over 200% in 10 years. And uh, I have to dig uh, several pages into this article to get some more local news, but I'll just find that here. No, I saw it earlier today. And uh, it's just escaping me at the moment. I'll be right back on that one. Right, I've shuffled my papers around and uh, found found it buried in this article, uh, which says that uh, Horafenua in, in Manawatu Wanganui had the country's third biggest ten year price increase. Core logic figures show the district's average price went up by two hundred and thirteen percent from one hundred ninety four thousand five hundred approximately in September two thousand and twelve to six hundred eight thousand this September. That's huge. So from 194.5 to 608. Ros Wallace from Ray White Levin has been working in the area for 15 years and say that says there has been a tremendous rise in prices over that time. The opening of the Kapiti Expressway and more recently Transmission Gully have played a role in that as they have opened up the drive to Wellington and made commuting easier, she says. But it's important to note that there was a sharp increase in prices following the first COVID lockdown. They have declined sharply this year since last year's peak in October, as uh, many many of those peaks have uh, dropped back in the last 12 months. She says that first home buyers coming to the area are a strong presence in the market, although their numbers have dropped off a bit. She says there's still great value for money in Livin. The difference between what you can get for 600000 here compared to Wellington is significant, and listings have quadrupled since last year, so buyers have more choice. Rangatike and Manawatu Wanganui and South Wairapa in the Wellington region rounded out CoreLogic's list of five areas with the highest 10-year price increases. So the average price in Rangatike rose 208000 from 151000 in September 2012 to 467000 uh, this September. So it's effectively a tripling when they say 208%. And uh, even South Wairapa is it's closer to Wellington up from 283 to 863. Um, some big increases there as well. So that's over a 10 year period. And traditionally in this region, Manotu, Wanganui, the properties have uh, doubled in value uh, around once every 10 years, or at least in Palmerston North. Um, and we've had um, some recent changes with a very slow period after the global financial crisis, which took uh, the best part of 13 years for properties to double to a much shorter period of about five years more recently. So the country's largest bank, ANZ, expects house prices to fall 18% from their 2021 peak. That's an increase from the 15% it expected previously. Now adjusted for wage inflation, that is actually a drop of almost 27%, almost completely wiping out the house price gains of 2020 and 2021. This is an article on Stuff Business by Susan Edmonds. In its latest update, ANZ Economist said that the inflation was accelerating to rates that would keep the Reserve Bank up at night. And the worrying thing about Reserve Bank is that it's the domestic kind of inflation which can be difficult to stomp out. Indeed, September quarter consumer price index saw non-tradable or domestic inflation hit a fresh record high. They said the case to hike the official cash rate, that's the OCR, by more than previously expected was strong and they now expect a 75 basis point increase, that's 0.75 of a percent, 
and the new next two announcements from the Reserve Bank taking the OCR to 5% in February. And that means higher mortgage rates and sooner, which will weigh on house prices. So from there, what happens will depend on the state of the economy. Assuming the wheels don't fall off the global economy, if the labour market fails to loosen soon, the OCR may need to go higher still in order to prevent the wage price spiral from developing further. So we have to see where where things go there. And even the Bank of New Zealand feels that the house prices could drop uh, 20% from the peak. So uh, again, that's... Putting that in the context here in uh, Manawatu Wanganui, we've had a couple of years of um, previously of 30% increases per year. Um, so a drop of 20 is relative. Uh, it's difficult for the people who have just bought and they see that price um, dropping. However, if they're looking at the medium or long term, they'll be absolutely fine. So... This article leads to this article by Rob Stock, who says, could this be the end of home loan interest rate increases? So Trevor Mallard has suggested a left-field idea about using KiwiSaver accounts to help stop home loan payments from increasing. So retiring MP Trevor Mallard has suggested that the Reserve Bank be given the power to use KiwiSaver as, monetary, as a monetary policy tool in its efforts to tackle inflation. His left-field idea was that the Reserve Bank could be allowed to increase the proportion of workers' salaries going into KiwiSaver, for example, from 2% to 4% when it wanted to slow the economy. Conversely, it could decrease people's contributions when it wanted people to spend more to boost the economy. The suggestion is prompting laughter amongst KiwiSaver watchers, some of it nervous, some disbelieving. Katrina Shanks, a former National MP and now Chief Executive of Finance Advice New Zealand doesn't think there'd be public support for Mallard's idea, which would have to be studied and consulted on before it was introduced. Mallard posited his idea as being an alternative to the Reserve Bank calling or stimulating the economy by raising or dropping the official cash rate. The results of OCR increases or decreases were both slow and unpredictable, he said, largely because most home loans were on fixed rates that did not change until the term came to an end. Allowing a change to KiwiSaver contribution rates would be a quicker solution, he says. They could increase or decrease net pay almost immediately and that way boost or tighten the economy, he said in his farewell speech. It's quite a unique perspective on growing people's wealth, Shink says. KiwiSaver was designed to give people control over their retirement savings decisions, she says. If you allow government greater control over it, it's very dangerous territory. That's what I thought when I read this originally. She worries confidence in KiwiSaver would be damaged if it became a tool of monetary policy. But Mallard's left-field suggestion is actually dusting off a previous Labour Party policy. And uh, Reserve Bank watcher Michael Riddle calls the idea daft. He said it would undermine retirement saving, it was unlikely to work, he says, and it wouldn't make people feel any less wealthy. It would have the effect of shuffling their money from one place to the other. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Um, That's quite an interesting uh, sort of situation there too. So speaking of inflation, this article by Susan Edmonds and stuff, inflation hits home, 34 fixed-term home loans increase. So banks, like any business, want to charge as much as they can. This is what that means for your interest rates. 34 home loan rates were increased in the past week. Uh, this is during October. Um, from Data from CanStar shows, as banks respond to the prospect of inflation that is higher for longer than previously expected. The data shows that four providers increased five variable rates by an average of 
50 basis points and they increased 34 fixed rates by an average of 26 basis points. Two banks increased two savings account interest rates by an average of 45 basis points. One lifted its bonus account rate by 40 basis points. The six term deposit providers increased 40 interest rates by an average of 0.21 basis points. This is interesting because they increase their um, uh, the lending rates by more than they increase what they give back to you. That's quite quite a hard case. They're in it to make money, of course. Uh, the average one-year fixed home loan rate, when this was written, was 5.65. The average two-year rate is 5.49. So data from StatsNZ showed the consumer price index increased by 7.2% in the year to September, only slightly less than the previous quarter. And this led to some suggestion that the official cash rate could increase by 75 basis points next month uh, and reach as much of a peak as 5.25. So we have to see what happens there. But while those rates come up, if people have fixed, say if they fixed for two years or a year or 18 months and they're coming up, up to the new interest rate payments, it's really making for huge uh, increases, to, relatively speaking, to their interest uh, amounts that they pay. So I found this article here by Brianna McIlwraith on Stuff Business quite interesting. It says, five things you can do to reduce your personal inflation rate. You see, how inflation affects everyone is different. The overall inflation rate gives a good measure of the bigger picture, but it's just an average. We know inflation affects us all, but let's see how it is different for each person. ANZ senior economist Miles Workman said how sharply people were feeling the current increase in the cost of living would depend on their household structure. And uh, inflation is increasing at its fastest rate in 30 years. Things like the number of dependents, the pace of income growth, rental and debt status and the household's level of discretionary income all matter. Low income households are likely to feel high inflation the hardest because in general a smaller percentage of their spending was discretionary, he said. There would not be as much left over after paying for rent, food and utilities. So what can you do to reduce your personal inflation rate? The first suggestion is to cancel subscriptions. If you joined a gym in January as part of a resolution to become more active, but the membership has sat gathering dust, since you last touched a weight in February, get rid of it. But gym memberships are not the only subscription that needed counselling when households are under pressure, independent economist Tony Alexander has said. Nowadays it often means online services, and for some people this could be getting rid of their movie subscription service such as Netflix, Neon and Disney+, Plus, which all continued to go up in price in the last year. And it's interesting because um, I subscribe to some of those services, and it's, it's good to look back through your bank accounts and see if there's anything you're actually subscribing to and this includes apps or, or those sorts of things uh, online, which you've forgotten about that are still charging you. Uh, that can be a way of discovering. But if you can cancel some subscriptions, then that's a good thing as well. Another option is to seek extra income. Rob Clark, country manager of recruitment site Seek, says it was still a job hunter's market last month. Although we've seen an uptick in applications per job ad in August by 11%, Job ads remain very high, which means job seekers have plenty of choice, and this meant the demand from employers was massive. So picking up some part-time work in a store or hospitality business, for instance, is going to be easier than at any time potentially for decades. Turning your hobby into a moneymaker like selling refurbished furniture or making your own jewellery can also make money on the side while you do your full-time job. 
And one thing that I do, which is not everybody's cup of tea, but I have part of my house uh, available as a Airbnb, and that just creates a little bit more income into my household. So be more organised when it comes to meals is the next tip. How many times this year has it got to Monday, but you've run out of time to make your lunch and end up buying something from down the road? Well, I did that today, so hands up, guilty. Being more organised in regards to preparing food, in particular work lunch, would help people cut back on their spending, Alexander said. Food price rises and vegetables in particular, particular have been a driver of inflation. So food prices were 8.3 higher in September than the year before. 13-year high, so being prepared and buying in-season fruit and veggies could help save money at the checkout. Also, having friends around for a drink or a meal at someone's house rather than meeting in a bar or restaurant definitely helps. ANZ senior economist Wiles Workman said households are likely to mitigate the impact of high inflation by reducing their discretionary spending, but some households did not have a lot of discretionary income, meaning restaurants and holidays were likely already off the table. Here's another one. Don't spend money on products unless it's necessary. Delaying purchases that are not totally necessary right now could help in the short term, Alexander said, like new furniture when the existing items are still functionable. Just not wholly modern, he said. Basically, buy what you need, not what you want, until you can comfortably pay for the new items. And I find a lot that uh, these days you get a lot of emails and things like that from places like oneday.co.nz, Marketplace and so forth, that every day are sending you emails wanting you to buy things. And it's very tempting, uh, a bit like um, junk mail in your letterbox. If you get a lot of junk mail in your letterbox and you're looking through it, eventually you'll find something to spend money on uh, that you probably would never have considered before. So you can always unsubscribe to some of those emails as well. This is just my personal view. If, um, if they were sending you continual things, and you found that you were buying things that were not really necessary to your household. Moving on now, uh, this Riviera Group uh, is a townhouse uh, company, building company, and this article refers to them by saying only 10% of buyers willing or able to buy off the plan, developer says. So the director, Greg Shackle, says that they're They've been dealing with rising construction labour costs and are facing a flatlining number of buyers willing or able to purchase off the plan. Only about 10% of buyers were now in the market for off-the-plan properties were able to wait the year it often took to complete a build, he said. The fall-off was likely to result in some developments going into hibernation or being put on hold over the next year. What's going to happen, and it hasn't really been talked about, I believe in the next 12 months, you'll see very few new developments coming to market for multiple reasons. Financing is becoming more difficult and selling off the plans is also challenging now. Buyers who might have bought off the plan are also struggling to get finance due to new responsible lending rules brought in by an update to the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act in December. We obviously need development funding, we need pre-sales, and if we can't get the pre-sales because interest rates are too high and people can't afford them, it has a direct impact on our funding and the developments going forward. Uh, The... Riviera Group uh, currently has seventeen town, uh, a 17 ha- townhouse development underway in the Wellington suburb of Karori. Stage 1 sold off the plans quickly when it was released in January. By the time the larger Stage 2 was released in April, we said the market had slowed down markedly. So Bess, Bex McCullum, a mortgage advisor and founder of Loan Market Brokerage in Auckland, and she's been in the finance industry for 20 years. She said that from 2018 to the end of 2021, about 30 to 50% of all buyers were looking for new builds. 
And that's because a combination of new affordable housing coming on stream and ballots for Kiwi Build properties enticing first home buyers, as well as favourable loaned value rules for those buying a new build. There was also a prevailing opinion created by rising property prices that buyers couldn't go wrong and homes would be worth more by the time they were built than customers were paying. And this had been especially evident with uh, affordable housing and Kiwi builds for first-home buyers. They were buying off plans, for example, for 650000 While the build has been completed a year and a half later, your clients came back and saying, my house is worth 830000 now. So the attractiveness of new builds was bolstered by the banks offering discounted floating home loan rates through programmes like ASB's Back My Build and ANZ's Blueprint My Build in the late 2020 and early 2021. Today the proportion willing to go for new builds has shrunk to about 10% of the buyer pool with a shortage of materials, cost escalation and the market downturn contributing to the drop-off. Also the increased build costs, uh, StatsNZ, Estimates cost of construction of a new home has increased 3.3% in the September quarter. Now that's um, significant considering the value of the properties um, that are being purchased. So finally, uh, just for interest's sake, this article by Jared and Can from stuff.co.nz business says the numbers enrolling in real estate course declines by more than a third. Real estate agent commissions are likely to fall 30% compared to last year due to falling prices and sales volumes, Infrometrics projects. The number of people enrolling in the Open Polytech's real estate agent training course is on track to fall 35% compared to last year, the tertiary education provider reports. Chief Executive Caroline Seelig said enrolment changed year to year and often followed the housing market, which is in the midst of a serious downturn. The Real Estate Institute Report, recently reported house prices had seen the largest six-month drop since the Institute's records began. Infometrics, meanwhile, forecast real estate agents likely to see their take-home pay fall by a fifth as a result of falling house prices and sales volumes. So in 2021, the Open Polytech enrolled 659 equivalent full-time students, and for 2022, that's down at 430. So this is quite normal. Um, the industry always responds uh, in a downturn. And Ray White, Carpenter Realty's owner, Glenn Carpenter, said the industry in general will have more failures and people leaving as the market contracts, and that's normal. Think, I think back in 20, 2008, during the GFC, 20% of the industry quit in about the first six or seven months. They were generally the ones that were just hanging in there. So Carpenter said another agent summed the situation up perfectly by describing the industry as self-cleansing. And in August, figures showed the number of real estate agents shrank by 235 in three months. Carpenter said some other agencies were following a playbook whereby they went on a spree to gain more agents, which they hoped would allow them to gain a larger piece of a smaller pie. But if the pie is shrinking, you need more agents to maintain the same figures. Real estate agents are generally contractors and work almost entirely on commissions from sales. So a key driver of financial pressure for real estate agents is the fall in the number of sales occurring, even as the supply of available homes for sale booms. It's not how many are being sold, it's how many are actually selling. The sales volumes were sitting at over 100,000 a year midway through last year, and that had reduced roughly a quarter to about 75,000. It's forecast to fall further according to Infometrics. So we'll just have to see how how things go there. Um, And... uh, and yes, the market will shrink as uh, we have a general 
situation where many people come into real estate think it's an easy way of making money, um, which incidentally it's not, but people perceive that, only to find out it's actually really difficult, and when the market turns it makes it really hard for them. So that's all we've got time for this week on Property Matters here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo irirangi o ngā tangata o Manawatu. And you can find Property Matters by searching Property Matters and Greg Watson or where all good podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in a week's time. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.